if you've ever had any discussions with anybody about the whole area of evolution, creation, you can recognize that it gets like emotional quick. Uh, it's just almost unreasonable. And uh, it's, uh, it's just, there's a lot of demonic uh, activity in this whole area and realm because for us to fear God now, one of the things that has to happen is we have to see him in his creation and uh, marvel at what he's done in creation, but the, the devil has worked real hard at taking that away and made it just uh, an accident, as it were. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, speaking of God, his invisible attributes, that is what you can't see uh, because you're not in heaven, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, clearly seen being understood to what has been made so that they are without excuse. And so all that God is in the sense of his attributes, his power, his nature are clearly seen in what has been created, but we tend not to get it uh, because of this uh, brainwashing that's taken place. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deeps and storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. And so notice the context there in the sense of uh, Psalm 33, what he's done, he created, and then moving right to that, let all the earth fear the Lord, let all the inhabitants of the earth stand in awe of him. That's because of what he's created and what he's done. He spoke and it was done, he commanded, it stood fast. By awesome deeds you answer us in righteousness, O God of our salvation, you who are the trust of all the ends of the earth and the farthest sea, who establishes the mountains by his strength, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the tumult of the peoples. They who dwell on the ends of the earth stand in awe of your signs. You make the dawn and the sunset shout for joy. You visit the earth and cause it to overflow. You greatly enrich it. The stream of God is full of water. You prepare their grain, for thus you prepare the earth. You water its furrows abundantly. You settle its ridges. You soften it with showers. You bless its growth. You have crowned the year with your bounty and your paths drip with fatness. The pastures of the wilderness drip and the hills gird themselves with rejoicing. The meadows are clothed with flocks and the valleys are covered with grain. They shout for joy. Yes, they sing. A key to growing in the fear of the Lord is reading our Bible every day. And you can write in there in your notes every day, every day, every day. Deuteronomy 4, remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when the Lord said to me, assemble the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth that they may teach their children, that they may learn. Notice the word learn. So just because we become a Christian doesn't mean we have a very high fear of God and therefore are not experiencing the blessing of that, that they may learn to fear me on the basis of the words of God. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the law and the land where you are going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson may fear the Lord your God, may fear the Lord your God, to keep all his statutes, his commandments which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be prolonged. Now it shall come about that when he sits the commandment in Deuteronomy on how kings were to act and live. Interesting, there were no kings in Israel at that time. 
uh, but uh, God anticipating or knowing and uh, Moses writing about future kings. This was how they ought, there were some rules given there. And by the way, Solomon broke them all at, by the end of his life. And uh, it shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. He did it in their presence so that it would be right, accurate, and he would write for himself his own personal copy. It shall be with him and he shall read it, read it all the days of his life, all the days of his life. What's that mean in the Hebrew? Every day, every day, every day, yeah. He shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord, learn. You grow in that uh, character trait of fearing God by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes. Another key discipline, faith, uh, discipline faithfully practiced that results in increased fear of the Lord is worship. So worship of the disciplines uh, of the seven that I teach is the most difficult because it's the least measurable. I mean, reading the Bible is a discipline, and we can say, did you read your Bible today? Yeah, I did. Okay, you did or you didn't. Did you pray today? Yeah, I did. You did or you didn't. Did you examine your life, confess all known sin to God? Yeah, you did or you didn't. So all the disciplines are easy to set a goal for, to measure. This one here is way more difficult in the sense that it becomes a, uh, an attitude a way of thinking, as well as a practice. And so you've heard me say this before often. Uh, you're all day long, 24-7 worship. That is, you thank God for everything, and you see God around you, and you rejoice always and grumble about nothing. You have that general attitude of being a praising person. Your private worship rises and falls under your corporate worship. And so you read the book of Psalms and see how much worship emphasis is there and see how much of it is corporate together. And so we worship together, uh, and in men's leadership class I'll say this, most men worship very poorly because we're so aware of people around us and what they might think. And so there's a t-shirt at Men's Roundup a number of years ago. I was going to make copies of it and give it to everybody who went through men's leadership class. And it said, uh, real men sing loud. Uh, so consciously directing words to God during worship time corporately. Uh, singing loud. I sing as loud as I can. Um, torture everybody around me, but I'm singing to God, so it doesn't matter. Uh, but with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind... Uh, to worship Him because then it influences my whole week if I worship well corporately. That's the way God made us. Uh, the body life that we have as the church uh, is very much critical to what we're going to do during the, the, the week. That's why I say your private prayer life rises and falls on your corporate prayer life. You pray poorly corporately with little devotion or little time and you're going to struggle in your private prayer life. It's just the way God's made us. We're interdependent. We're part of a body. And so, separated, we can do very little. Together, we can do awesome things. Then watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. Watch yourself. Pay attention to how you think and what you do. You shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship Him and swear by His name. And so, fearing Him, worshiping Him, if you look up all the references, they're regularly put together, almost synonymous you fear the Lord, praise Him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify Him, stand in awe of Him, all you descendants of Israel. 
Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude, gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, reverence and awe. God, be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all the nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you will judge the people with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him, that they may fear him. Those who truly fear the Lord acknowledge that He is King, He is Lord, He controls every detail of our lives, He is sovereign, and as such, He makes the rules. <clears throat> we have this aversion to rules and laws and principles and guidelines. And... The, you've heard me say again, but the word grace has sort of become an excuse for doing whatever we want. And uh, so God makes rules, and uh, just because we live in the, the dispensation of grace doesn't mean there aren't any rules. Grace is His ability to keep His principles and rules. It's not the absence of them. And so the big difference between now and pre-Christ is the Spirit of God dwells in us, and we have His power. Uh, and so we're not living... Uh, with uh, license, uh, we're living disciplined, obedient lives, but with power. And so Paul said, I, I labored all in, more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God in me. And so that grace in me gives me that power uh, to... Thank you, sir. But for the Lord, our judge is, uh, the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, our lawgiver, our king. There's only one lawgiver. This is James, New Testament. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. And so God is lawgiver and he is judge. All people like to make their own rules as part of our flesh. I went through sort of a stage a number of years ago as a pastor where I did not like small groups, uh, Bible studies that took place because I so often heard people use the phrase, so, Matt, what's it mean to you? And it's like this, uh, you know, means one thing to you, it means one thing to me, we all sort of decide. And uh, that is really, really bad theology an attitude towards the Word of God and, God and Him is the Bible has one interpretation. Uh, God intended one message through it. We make application, but we don't have this attitude, you know, you read it, you get something, I read it, I get something. Now we'll observe different things, but there is not a variety of uh, rules dependent on who we are. We're aiming for that, yeah. So the principle is line upon line, precept upon precept. The illustration I use is like a math book that has 2 plus 2 equals 4 and the most advanced calculus. 
written all in one book, but it doesn't go by chapters. It's all mixed in together. And so as you read through the math book and you know nothing about math, you're going to get the 2 plus 2 equals 4. The next time you go through it, you're going to get a little bit higher level and a little bit higher because the highest stuff you can't get until you get this. It's built upon uh, previous knowledge, line upon line, precept upon precept. So Bible is the same way. There's a lot that you won't understand until you understand something else first. Uh, and it would be nice if God would have written the Bible you know, in chapters and progressing along from easy to hard, from beginning to end, but didn't do it that way. And so we have to read it understanding there's going to be a lot that we don't get, but the next time through we'll get more and more. And so it's line upon line, precept upon precept, year after year, faithfully reading every day, every day, every day, you pick up that increasing uh, uh, understanding of the Word of God. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And so that, we, boy, I'm telling you, if there's a time we've lived in that is now. Everything's just turned upside down in the sense of what's right, what's wrong. And uh, Christians are all of the time uh, blasted because of their narrow dogmatic views. And I say, it's not mine. If I were making the rules, it'd be a lot simpler. Thou shalt fish. I would end it right there. Uh, so the fear of God is understanding he is the lawgiver. He is the lawgiver, not me, not you, not anybody else. And he is also judge. And so that attitude that God is the one who gives the rules, sets the standards, and I will follow those. And if I don't, there are consequences. Uh, we don't, you know, that's just not popular now. Woe to those who uh, are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Their root will become like rot and their blossom blow away as dust. For they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Rejected his law, his word. On this account, the anger of the Lord has burned against his people and he has stretched out his hand against them and struck them down. Number nine, many people react against the word rules. Now, I purposely don't use the word law because that was the word that was fairly uh, precise in regards to the uh, law that Moses was given for the nation of Israel. So Hebrews says, we now live under a different priesthood, no longer the uh, Aaronic priesthood, but now that uh, Jesus is our priest. And it says when there's a change of priesthood, there's a change of law, change of rules. And so Adam had a, a rule, only one. And then Noah, there were some there, and Abraham had some, and then Moses came along and had those for the nation of Israel. Now we, the church, uh, we don't live under the Old Testament law. Uh, boy, there's a bunch of confusion about that now. Uh, that was written to the Israel. We are the church, and so we still have law. We still have rule. It doesn't mean that uh, we don't because of Paul's writings in Romans about not being saved by law, but that word law is pretty precise in is talking about that which was written in the book of Deuteronomy and Leviticus to the nation of Israel that Moses received. It's a very precise uh, law from God given to that people. And so we still have rules. And uh, I started last night again a study I did years ago, and I've, I've lost it, and that is I went uh, go through... Uh, the New Testament, especially Romans through Jude, and write down every imperative, every command, and uh, just make a list of them. And it, this is a long list, and it's ever bit as uh, thorough as the Old Testament, but 
uh, minus some of the um, slaughtering pigs and they're not pigs. They don't do that, Jews, do they? Yeah, no. <laughs> Sorry about that. Many people react against the word rules. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, Paul to Timothy, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. And so, we Super Bowl today, there's guys running around out there in striped shirts, blown, throwing yellow flags because people broke the rules. And lots of discussion and replays over whether they got that right or not, whether they really broke the rule, and understanding the outcome often is a result of how that goes. And so rules make the game work. Rules make traffic bearable. Uh, rules all through life are part of what makes things work. God is the ultimate rule maker. Uh, and so we don't win unless we compete according to the rules. Big problem. A lot of Christians don't know what the rules are. Uh, and it's because we've gotten this lazy attitude towards uh, rules. Those who react to the word rules will overemphasize the word grace. And so, what's the word that's used? It's my number one word that I hate legalism. Ah, oh, that's legalism. Oh, give me a break. Legalism. The definition of legalism is attempting to earn your way to heaven. As Paul used it, legalism is not having rules, standards uh, that you believe God has given you about how, uh, about marriage and about uh, every, every area of our life. God makes these rules on living so that we can be godly, be like Him, have a relationship with Him as real. The presence of those is not legalism. Um, the biblical definition of grace is not the absence of rules, but the power from God to keep them. So that point right there is so important that we get that one. We've got rules, principles, guidelines, and uh, it's not the absence of those that is grace. It's the power from God to live them, to do them. He has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Power of Christ may dwell in me. And again, this is the context of grace. Those who are strong in the fear of God are constantly asking Him for His power and strength. So that verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Philippians 4.13, Christians say that as a, a sort of a, that's their right as a Christian. It's kind of like... Uh, Dr. Bain talked about inheritance. We tend to think that we're a believer. That's automatic. Uh, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's probably a verse that a minority, a small minority of believers can actually quote as accurately in their life because you have to uh, pursue his strength, want it, do the things that bring it, and uh, uh, motivated by a desire to serve him, please him, live for him. He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. 
in the inner man. That's grace. Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. He gives strength to the weary. To him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. O Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear. My soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to your word. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, to the throne of grace, throne of grace. What are we going to get when we get to the throne of grace? So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help, grace to help, help. Uh, and that's in the whole context of living righteously. The key part of fearing God is a very strong belief that he is om omnipresent. He is present at the farthest star and he lives inside of me and is always with me and he knows in detail every act, word, thought, and motive. Again, the problem is that we don't see him, so we're unaware of his presence. We're unaware. We don't think about the fact that he sees everything I do, hears everything I say, knows everything I think uh, in detail. He doesn't get too busy. We don't get lost in the crowd. And so if we could actually see him with us, uh, the, the, the glory of God following us where we went and where we're, the fact that he was looking, uh, regarding, considering our behavior, uh, that would change the way we live. Uh, incredibly, just simply because we would be aware of the fact that he sees, hears, and knows. So that omnipresence, aware, uh, presence of God in my life is critical to this factor. Oh Lord, you have searched me, you know me, you know when I sit down, when I rise up, you understand my thought from afar, you scrutinize my path and my lying down, are intimately acquainted with all my ways. So that's a good chapter to memorize, Psalms 139. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind before. You laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. I just it can't comprehend it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed and shield, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there, your hand will lead me. Your right hand will lay hold of me. And if I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, then the light around me, might be, uh, uh, around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. God sees everything that we do, hears, every, uh, hears everything that we say. God knows everything that we think. Raymond, would you get me another glass of water back right there? Thank you. So again, this is really, really key to fearing God, is knowing this, knowing this, knowing this, uh, not just giving mental assent to it. And so that takes some learning, some growing, uh, to become a person who is constantly aware of the fear of God. It's one of the reasons why one of the disciplines that builds it is prayer, because we're praying to God, and the act of doing that, especially in volume, uh, we become increasingly more aware of his presence because of the conversation we have with him. I think I've told you this story before, but that's one of my favorites. Uh, years and years ago, when we only had the first chapel, when we first built that, we didn't build any walls in the back part of it. We had folding partitions. 
All, we had the hallway, and that was it. I don't know if we even had the hallway. But we were able to open it up and make it big for things. And so we built these partitions uh, with uh, uh, two-by-fours and siding and door hinges and, and got tracks. Well, when you close them, there was a little bit of a crack between each of the panels uh, because of the hinges that we built. And I was walking down right across from where our kitchen is, and there's a classroom across from it. And I could hear my son, Sam, and he was 10, 11 at, at that point. I could hear him talking uh, above all the others and it sounded like his, he wasn't uh, being very n nice. So I peeked through the crack, and sure enough, he was being very, very uh, bad, rude, obnoxious, and uh, back-talking the teacher, and I think at the time it was Janet Lee. And so I opened the door, and I stepped into the class, and I sat down on the back. What happened to his behavior? <laughs> It changed, boom, just like that. So we got home, and I said, Sam, you remember when I came into your classroom? He said, yes. Before I walked in, I listened to you for some time, uh, and uh, you were being very, very rude and bad. And I said, if you ever do that again, um, and I forget what I said, I said, every time I walk by that classroom, I'm going to peek in that crack and see how you're doing. A week or so later, I asked Mrs. Lee, how's my son doing? Oh, man, he's doing very well. <laughs> and he's developed this sort of a tick. I said, what do you mean? He keeps looking at the wall. Back to the fear of the Lord. Yeah. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids test the sons of men. There is no creature hidden from his sight. All things are open, laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Uh, it's book of Hebrews, by the way, New Testament. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. God understands what our motives are for what we do better than we do ourselves. Would not God find this out? For he knows the secrets of the heart. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the result of his deeds. He searches our heart, our mind. He knows us well. God sees our heart is in complete, and is completely aware of our character, our flaws, and our strengths. How many blanks are there? That's 26. 26. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to finish this. <laughs> First Chronicles 28.9 As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches all the hearts and understands every intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will let you find him. Then here in heaven you're dwelling... Uh, uh, he, then here in heaven your dwelling place, and forgive and act and render to each according to all his ways, whose heart you know, whose heart you know, for you alone know the hearts of all the sons of men. But you, uh, but you know me, O Lord, you see me, you examine my heart's attitude towards you. All right. Let's um, 
Call that good right there. And we'll start there next week.